Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of hosting Ryan Gibson with Par- Spartan Investment Group. Uh, the Spartan Investment Group invests a, in a lot of syndicated self-storage assets and a few other asset classes as well. And Ryan leads the investor relations and the, um, all the capital raising aspect of their company. He is the CIO and the co-founder of their company. He has done several uh, you know, cycles of real estate plus invested and done deals within uh, whether it's ground up development, luxury rentals and things like that so welcome to the show thank you for taking time brian i appreciate it thanks for having me appreciate it (laughs) sure sure awesome uh give us a little background ryan as to you know how you come and kind of came about in uh, real estate and uh sort of now with the spartan investment group of yours yeah so today we just operate um a bit over four thousand units of storage and rv parks and my previous career was in aviation. Um, you know, I was an airline pilot and did um, airline management for, for uh, a bit of time. And uh, yeah, yeah. So not too far from where you're from. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I lived in uh, D.C. and that's where we started our business, uh, basically developing condos, you know, converting those old D.C. row homes into condo projects and then flipping houses. So I see. I see. Yeah. So you intensely know what a renovation and a flipping the whole end to end cycle is like. And as you mentioned, you were uh, you have done a lot of uh, projects in Washington, D.C. And I'm kind of based in the sister city uh, in Columbia, Ellicott City in Maryland. So we kind of always have that sort of a perspective on what's happening in the market. And we look at different markets uh, as well. So uh, Ryan, explain us that now you kind of went, uh, I call it like a full cycle or a diverse cycle of sorts that you started from residential flipping houses and you know, sort of seeing that lens. And now with your company, you all have graduated into, let's say the uh, storage, uh, you know, self storages and the RV parks or the manufactured housing and things like that, right? Uh, give us an overview of uh, why that, or perhaps not the typical multifamily uh, draw that a lot of investors get drawn into. Yeah, sure. I first and foremost, it was the economics. The last two recessions, um, storage did the best. So we were looking at high performing asset classes during times of recession which at the time we were looking at, you know, potentially the next recession and what performers would be standout. Um, mm-hmm. And that was storage. The other thing that we liked is that, you know, you put a lien against people's stuff. So you have collateral um, against the tenant's belongings mm-hmm. um, and it's easy to evict um, the tenants uh, versus multifamily. 
Um, easy to maintain. You know, if you can think of, you know, 4,000 units, there might be 12 toilets uh, total <laughs> across all, all those units, right? Interesting. And then, um, yeah, and just ease of operations. We, we wanted to have, we wanted to be able to directly operate these businesses. We didn't want to have third-party management. I see. Um, yeah, we wanted to grow our team and have control in the process um, so that we weren't always chasing somebody around or, you know, having, you know, using our talents to the best of our ability um, and having that control um, and consistency, no matter where we go, we're, we're in Texas, we're in Colorado, we're in Washington, we're on the, in the other Washington in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. um, so we really wanted to, you know, be able to deploy sort of anywhere and, um, and have the same consistency in our brand and the way that we run our operation. So. I see. Thank, thank you for clarifying that. And, and there is so much that you said that needs to be sort of broken down at a granular level. So allow me to, you know, maybe go step by step, uh, Ryan, there. Um, you said, Ryan, that you have, you know, like a multiple state presence, right? Um, explain us uh, or help us understand how you manage all these properties. You are a vertically integrated company, you know, in general, as we all know, property re management requires, uh, you know, sort of on the ground presence uh, multiple times uh, a day sure. or, you know, perhaps regularly. So uh, give us a, a sort of an understanding of how that works within your group. Yeah. So the way we're structured is we have a corporate headquarters in mm -hmm. Golden, Colorado, mm -hmm. um, and we have about 12 people, I think, now at our corporate headquarters. And um, we have uh, different departments. So uh, we set up a capital raising department, which is what um, I head up with uh, myself and Lauren. And we have a construction management department. So we can do the renovations and do maintenance requests and do uh, kind of a facility management from the uh, maintenance side of things. So we have um, a couple of people that work in that department. Mm -hmm. And then we have property management. So we have a, a business sort of a businesses and that we have um, an inside corporate property manager and we have an, a full-time asset manager. Um, then we also have uh, administrative support to those um, two uh, employees that provide us with the ability to you know, do administrative things for the properties. Mm -hmm. um, so we have three full-time people at the corporate headquarters that oversee um, the property management. On the property side of things, you know, Spartan Investment Group is an operating company Sure. Um, so we employ an additional, I don't know, 15 or 18 or so employees at the property level. Mm -hmm. And um, we provide, we buy assets that we can justify having frontline employees at. And we, you know, manage those uh, folks from afar uh, through our processes. So uh, we have revenue management software, uh, we have cameras, we have um, frequent visits to the property uh, to mm -hmm. check up on staff, training programs and just an overall structure that kind of supports those folks so that they can actually do the operation, uh, lease units and, um, and, you know, have successful businesses. So I see now, uh, going back to what you just said, Ryan, there is that you do self-management. Of course you have employees and things like that, right? Uh, help us understand. You must have done this analysis that if I do the third party management, right. Uh, you know, give, sort of giving out, uh, the regular day-to-day -day activities. You must have done that sort of pros and cons and uh, sort of the benefits <laughs> and all that, right? Give us an understanding of uh, 
you know, what sort of things you saw, uh, like, you know, it's easy for a lot of folks or listening to this or seeing uh, this podcast, understand that, uh, yes, this is what are the pros and cons within a multifamily, right? But operating a RV park or a self-storage facility is probably a, a lot different. Uh, give us a uh, sort of an overview of, uh, you know, uh, what are those sort of the uh, pros and cons that go into that? I, I can't think of any cons. Um, you know, obviously if you're a one-man band or you're a syndicator and you're raising capital and you just want to raise capital for a deal, totally makes sense to have property management or maybe that's the way you grow your company. There's, there's really a lot of pros to having a third party property management company, mm -hmm. um, especially a good one. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of cons there's, you know, there's, uh, you know, not having good record keeping or not having alignment, you know, but you know, there's really not a good or bad way of go, going about doing it. But our philosophy was just, you know, um, no property management company aligns with NOI. They, sure. they all, <laughs> it's all a percentage of gross income. And, um, you know, just to, just to boil down to the, the most simple example that I can give is alignment. And, you know, Scott and I, you know, just kind of serendipitously a couple of years ago, for example, we were at a property and the trees needed to be cut off the buildings to save the insurance premium. And, you know, a property management company, what they would have done is maybe hopefully gotten three bids and got a landscaping crew out there and probably spent a thousand dollars trimming some trees back and some back and forth coordination. And we were able to just go trim the trees and save the thousand bucks and uh, take a before and after picture and got our insurance premiums uh, reduced. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, you know, what does that mean? That means that our investors are going to get that much more cash, mm -hmm. um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not saying that I run around, you know, do property level stuff, sure. but you mm -hmm. can kind of see the, the synergies that sort of start piling up. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're making decisions as a property management company, we're making bottom line decisions, not gross revenue decisions. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think that that really aligns us with, um, you know, providing the best opportunity to our investors so that they're, that we're, you know, our alignment is to make money when the property sells um, with our investors. And we know that the NOI is, it impacts that. So we wanted to have control of the quality and the process. We wanted to have control over who we hired and the culture of sure. who we hired. And we wanted to make sure that the people we hire have alignment with our values. And that's really important. The other thing too, is we operate in some pretty, we operate some pretty difficult assets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, you know, RV parks are in the middle of nowhere. Um, mm -hmm. They're in markets where there is subpar property management available, or there's no property management available. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's hard enough just to find uh, someone to actually staff the park, let alone, um, you know, let alone uh, have the, um, property management, find somebody to manage the park. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, and for, you know, for everybody who's kind of thinking about property management, do I do it? Do I not do it? Um, it's a loss leader. It, it really doesn't make us any money. Mm -hmm. We're not looking to acquire, you know, property management contracts with anybody. It'd be kind of a distraction from our core focus. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. it's, it's purely just alignment. Um, and you know, the, the income that we earn, off of the, um, cause we do charge for property management just because we're providing it, you know, sure. and we're not a property yeah. management company. We still provide for the service that we provide. Right. And we right. just use that to pay our overhead at, at corporate uh, for the three um, folks that are full-time doing this. So. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And there's just so much good that you said. And I think my mindset is similar uh, where 
uh, we operate our portfolio with our internal property management and construction company, although that's on the residential side, but things that you spoke of that, you know, having control on costs and knowing exactly that, oh, I can do it at X. Why should I, you know, uh, give the bid to someone else? And also the things that, okay, I can control the schedule. I can exactly know how I can staff things up and, you know, do things in a different order. So I appreciate it. Uh, now, a lot of uh, listeners will understand, uh, Ryan, or relate to what happens on the property level on the sort of on the residential and the multifamily side, right? Uh, give us an understanding, Ryan, as to what it is, uh, like what are the daily details that go into property management in a self-storage or an RV park? I mean, gosh, you're in the middle of nowhere in the RV park, and I'm trying to understand like what sort of property management uh, yeah. or what sort of things may be going on. So could you help us understand that? Yeah, so I'll start with the, the more interesting one, which is storage, more, more enjoyable. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, multifamily, you might have a 300 unit building. Sure. Um, you know, we have a, you know, 1100 unit facility, which, you know, you might go, oh my God, that's so much storage. It's 180,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. So, but if you can imagine, you know, a, you know, even our most basic facility, you know, has, you know, a few hundred units. Um, and, you know, there's no, there's no power to the, some of the units, some units have power, some no, but mm -hmm. this facility in particular doesn't have any power. Um, you know, this outdoor 200 unit facility, uh, there's no water, there's no running water that goes to the facility because it doesn't have to be sprinkled. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no, for a long time, there wasn't any internet until we bought it and we put internet on the property. Mm -hmm. um, so if you could imagine that these facilities can literally just be there without anybody. Um, sure. Now we staff them, but you know, we have a couple of facilities that don't have onsite staff doesn't need it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the way we, the way we set up our system, you know, and I, and like I said, multifamily is a great investment. And I think, and I invest passively in multifamily and there's a lot of similarities in cost segregation and in sure. getting deductions and the cash flow and all that's pretty, very sure. similar. Sure. But mm -hmm. storage, I think where it really peels away is when you talk about automation, you know, mm -hmm. Um, you can book on a call center, you can book on your smartphone, you can pull up to the gate and get a lease executed and get a code to the gate after you pay and get right in and get into your unit. You don't even have to talk to anybody. Um, mm -hmm. And when you don't pay after a few days, uh, the gate automatically locks and you can't get back in. So you pay. So the, so the revenue management kind of integrates with the, with the gate system. The other thing is um, uh, Rent collection, you know, if they don't pay after five, their facility gets locked, it gets double locked or overlocked. And then at 30 days, we can start auctioning, uh, start the auction process to um, sell all their belongings for the profit that we lost um, during the time that they weren't paying. I and see. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so that I think that's those are the two things that really just make it different. You know, you can't do that in multifamily. Yeah. Sure, sure. Now, the eviction laws are also controlled by state to state, uh, Ryan. So are you maybe indicating, Ryan, that for uh, self-storage, perhaps the uh, laws don't, I mean, laws are different or are they more on a state to state basis, uh, similar laws to what you would see in a multifamily? The, yeah, they're state laws um, and they are very similar. I mean, there's definitely some differences, you know, nuances, but Mm -hmm. Generally, 30 to 60 days for evictions, um, you know, with COVID and the restrictions that multifamily received, we had none of those restrictions. We, we could raise rents, we could have auctions, we could do any of those things. Now, we, most operators chose not to, you know, sure, due sure. to the sensitivity mm -hmm. of what was happening. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for the most part, there was no, you know, the governor didn't declare that we couldn't evict or, or raise rents. 
Sure, um, sure. We have a couple of associations that oversee storage and they kind of encouraged us to say, hey, you know, hey, probably won't pump the brakes for a few months, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no, you know, official government, government mandate, you know, so. I see. Now, uh, speaking of occupancy, Ryan, uh, help us understand, um, you know, like what sort of occupancies you are seeing and uh, historically how self-storage has performed. Uh, I, you know, we would sure. be delighted to listen to, you know, uh, what all you have to say. Yeah, so um, occupancy national nation, uh, nationally um, I think the average has been about 94% uh, nationwide so very high occupancy um, that's impressive given the amount of inventory that has been built over the last 10 years in storage um, there's been more inventory built for storage in the last 10 years and there has its entire life cycle so wow. mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a booming business it's a 38 billion dollar industry um, an average uh, on average people use about five to six square feet of storage um, in the United States Mm -hmm. So it's very population driven. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very highly occupied. Um, you know, some markets are, are worse than others, but mm -hmm. and generally it's very well occupied. So our, our stable properties see occupancies anywhere from 93 to 98%. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously we're always trying to push rents, you know, sure. um, mm -hmm. so we don't really, we don't really care about occupancy more than we care about um, how we're, economically occupied compared to what the market, you know, beating the market. So if a, a storage unit's $100 a, a month in one market, you know, we want to be at 105, right? And be a higher, uh, higher occupancy. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. we, yeah, so we look, we look to have, um, you know, kind of the best, you know, the best operation and the best rents and getting more than we deserve in particular markets. So. I see. So now, uh, Ryan, speaking of acquisitions, right? Um, you know, again, comparing, contrasting to multifamily, you know, we typically in a, in a multifamily, you would say that, oh, you want to have a, a growing state from a population perspective, you have to have a strong household income within, you know, sort of a close proximity of that zip code or what have you, right? And uh, of course, you're seeing all the demographic dynamics and things like that. But on a self-storage, uh, how do you sort of analyze the deal or what sort of the factors you are looking at if you are looking for, you know, like further investments uh, to acquire? Yeah, it's a great question. So we look at population density in the three mile market. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, storage, you know, you can't say that, you know, hey, what's the storage like in Seattle? You know, you, you, you know, it depends. Um, because some parts of Seattle could be highly saturated and some parts of Seattle could be, you know, there could be a significant demand. Mm -hmm. um, people that use storage, it's, it's, uh, they drive down the street. They don't drive an hour to their storage facility. Sure. Um, you know, if, if, you know, where, so we look at population density around in the immediate market. So the four, eight and uh, 15 minute drive times, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we take that population and say, okay, what's the average consumption within that, uh, market and we can we can kind of extract how much um, utilization there would be or how much demand there would be. So, mm -hmm. simple simple example. Let's just say there's a seven square foot demand in that market or that immediate market, and there's ten thousand people. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a seventy thousand square foot demand within that within that market. But mm -hmm. let's say there was three facilities that were fifty thousand square feet within that same primary. Well, you have you have a, a saturation. Um, mm -hmm. that's pretty significant and I probably wouldn't build anything there and I'd be skeptical, skeptical about 
executing your business plan um, if it was to raise rents or you know build more units or something like that. So we look for we look for um, the market you know facilities that have market demand. So in that seventy thousand square feet of demand, maybe there wouldn't be any facilities or very few. Mm-hmm. Or if there are facilities there, that's okay. Um, but we would assess their occupancy and their rental rates before making a decision. Yeah, I see. So now you said a couple of things within that, Ryan, is you said that uh, the consumption would be, let's say, like the seven square foot per person, I believe you said, right? Or also the fact that whether there are, you know, different facilities within that, uh, you know, so these are all different data points that you said, right? So if, if let's say, I were to research or a listener of this podcast were to research that, hey, where can I find some of uh, this data or the competition for XYZ uh, storage within that? Uh, Tell us some sort of uh, metrics about where are there any websites or, you know, sort of uh, uh, reports and things like that, uh, that uh, the listeners can go and find this information. Yeah, Radius Plus is a great one. I see. So within Radius Plus, you're saying they they can pretty much uh, see everything in terms of okay, all these different data points and things like that. Yeah, and and I really that's that's what it really comes that stuff right there is the most important stuff. <laughs> you know, you could have a, a perfectly zoned or a good facility or a great market or somebody's trying to sell you, you know, like a broker is trying to sell you on the market or something like that. But all that really matters is that those numbers. Sure. You know how much sure. demand. So doing a feasibility, there are feasibility providers that will do a, a demand study for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to subscribe and pay the tens of thousands of dollars like we do in the data. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can, you can find that information um, from a, through a feasibility study uh, for that property. And that's what we do. We do a feasibility study on every property that we buy so that we know mm-hmm. what, the, what the market's doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, we use Radius. And then the other thing you want to make sure is there's no other building permits in the pipeline because... If, uh, you know, there may be three existing facilities, but then there might be four uh, that are permitted, ready to build. <laughs> so I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I see. Now, uh, there is this uh, sort of dichotomy, uh, Ryan, where, you know, you have the mom and pop uh, self-storage owner, you know, with a sprawling uh, multiple acres facility, right? And now you have newer Wall Street players coming into the industry, whether it's the self-storage or uh, I think self-America of the world. I mean, there are lots of names that that go with it. I mean, they they are coming up with, you know, like high-rise, uh, you know. Storages. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Self-storages with, you know, like uh, elevators and air, air-conditioned places. You know, you got, you know, automatic doors and, you know, so you are getting that sort of the glitzy look, the millennial uh, uh, population appeal there, right? So, given all that, right, how do you stand out or how do you acquire some of the assets or should you be concerned that, oh, hey, mile down the line, there's this glitzy, uh, uh, you know, uh, self-storage that's already there or it's going to come. How, uh, give us some context on that. Yeah, so so first of all, we own those types of facilities. Mm-hmm. So we, we have the older facilities, we have the newer facilities, uh, we have the conditioned ones, we have ones with elevators, we have ones with no elevators, we have ones mm-hmm. that are you know, non-climate and, you know, it just, you know, it depends, right? So there, you know, certain markets that we're in, they're not, those glitzy storage facilities aren't coming. So we're in a lot of secondary tertiary markets mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you compare You just have to, you just have to run the numbers, right? I mean, one of those facilities might get a higher rent premium or it might not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to see how you stack up. Um, you know, there is a, there is always an inherent risk that you buy a facility and then a bunch of people build later on and you had no idea they were going to come and they came, sure. they come and they're better and they suck up all your demand and sure. you just have to compete with them. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it may not be a problem because, you know, if there's a million square feet of unmet demand in a market and somebody comes in and builds 300,000 square feet next door to you, there's still 700,000 square feet of demand. Sure. So it's sure. really important to understand sort of what risk you're signing up for when you're building the storage, because you need to know how much market demand there is um, mm-hmm. and, and how much you can actually achieve by, um, you know, when you, when you buy your property that's existing or maybe when you're building from the ground up. So um, like we're building a storage right now, we're building about uh, 110,000 square feet mm-hmm. and the market has about a 300,000 square foot demand. And it's very difficult to permit in that market. So we know that we've got a two, three, maybe even a four year runway um, to build our facility, lease it up before anybody would even uh, be able to catch us in timeline on permits and building and, and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we feel very safe with that. I see. But, but if you, you know, if there was no barriers to entry, and you had no one, you know, there wasn't anything you had to do. You just go down to the county and pick up your permit or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then you would think, okay, if I build here and the market's already sort of saturated, mm-hmm. somebody could easily come in. And if they were dumb enough to build with no market demand, that would cause problems in the market. Then I'd look at rent per square foot. Are you mm-hmm. already kind of running a flat tire on rent per square foot or is the market really rich? Mm-hmm. Because if the market's really rich, you might have some room for being a differentiator in the market. Yeah, you got you got the ritzy, high rise, um, you know, premium products. Sure. But mm-hmm. you may just be the guy that offers the not so ritzy premium product, and people that don't want to pay the extra dollar won't go to those facilities. But people that want a little bit of a discount will go. Will continue to go to yours. Um, so there's a lot of different factors that play into that, and it's important to kind of understand your market before you make a decision to just go buy it or think that you're going to be able to get those A plus rentals um, when really you're a C minus facility. Sure, you just have sure. to, you just have to be realistic with where, where you are. So like we're buying uh, four properties right now in Texas mm-hmm. uh, portfolio four, and you know, it's a great example. We actually are, we consider ourselves about a B, a B, uh, B to a B minus facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a B, maybe a B plus on a couple of them, but like the other ones are B minuses. And, you know, we're looking at the A plus facilities in our market study to kind of see where the rent, the top of the rent market goes, but we're only comparing our, our price increases to the average of the B's, right? I see. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're not, we're not considering the A pluses in our averages. We're only averaging the B's sure, because sure. you just have to be realistic with what, you know, what your customers are willing to pay or they might move to a, a nicer place. I see. Good. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, detail. Uh, and also, Ryan, uh, why do we acquire the self-storage facilities, right? Like boosting the NOI and, you know, like sort of giving the greater returns to investors is at the core of all this, right? So when you acquire these assets or when you're doing the due diligence, right, uh, what sort of things you have done or identified uh, in various assets that you can say that, hey, you know what, we can do these number of things and increase the sort of, uh, you know, the NOI, right? Give us some examples of uh, like, you know, some of the things that you may have done uh, as far as from a amenities or improvements perspective. 
So in multifamily, you know, you're going to buy a 200 or 300 unit building and take 20 to 50 units offline at some point, And you're going to put kitchen packages in them and change the floors out. And then, and then the rent's going to go up, right? You're going to, then you're sure. going to move people in at a higher premium. And you've already done your study. You know that that property down the street has got higher rents, but they also have a better product. So you know that you can get a better product, right? <laughs> so you can't really improve the inside of a storage unit. So if we get our, we just get our minds off that for a second, there's really nothing you can do to the, to the unit where someone's going to go, Oh, like I really like these uh, corrugated interior metal walls, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I asked that question. I'm right, like, you know, yeah. what are the different things you, you typically yeah. do, you know? Yeah. So getting that, the, getting that kind of out of the way. So we look for properties that are mismanaged. So, you know, I'll give you a great example of one. Mm-hmm. So we had a, we, we bought a property in September of last year. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the app, the owner just let the thing go and just slam into the ground and burst into flames. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was uh, 209 units and the, um, the property was falling apart. It was rusted. The, the doors were dinged and dented and the locks were broken. And some of the doors didn't even work and people had piled up trash and units and, um, Nobody was enforcing leases. A lot of unit tenants didn't have leases. There was abandoned boats there. I think we used about 24 dumpsters or something to haul off all the trash. All the crap. Mm-hmm. And um, it was 14% occupied economically. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we looked at this and we went, okay, um, we can buy this for $22 a square foot to include the cost of the land, mm-hmm. which is essentially, um, you can't even build anything for $22 a square foot. Um, let alone the time and the interest reserves needed to get, you know, to kind of get through construction and the headache of permits and construction management. So we bought it at $22 a square foot. Uh, I think most recently the property is almost 60% occupied um, mm-hmm. in about four or five months. And we, what we did, we come in there and the, we added a website. There was no website. Mm-hmm. We listed on Google. We added revenue management. We added a call center. We added cameras. We repainted the entire facility. We repaired all the sheet metal. We replaced all the door springs. We re- replaced the doors. Mm-hmm. We put concrete in some units. Mm-hmm. We repaved the drive aisles. We redid the fencing. We did the marketing. We put in a 30-foot sign pole so people could actually see us on the road. Mm-hmm. We put billboards up around town to get lease-ups. Mm-hmm. We advertised in the local community by sending out 10,000 letters to local businesses and, and people. Um, we you know, hired a staff person there to um, you know, kind of mitigate lease-up. We repositioned the gate because it, this was mostly a boat storage facility mm-hmm. because people were turning off the main road. Um, the gate wasn't set far enough back. So when you were looking to turn into the facility, your boat was hanging out on the road. <laughs> you know, I mean, just many, many different things. We added um, the ability to do, um, we're rolling this out soon, RV storage at the property. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just, we just um, put a lot of polish on the property mm-hmm. and we're just, we're just um, ease of booking. It is easy for the customer to go and book our properties. And that is the number one differentiator. Some of these mom and pop properties in the middle of nowhere, um, you you know, you call and you get a personal cell phone and maybe the guy answers, maybe he doesn't, maybe he gets back to you, maybe he doesn't, I don't know. But basically someone picks up the phone when you call our facilities and we convert, we convert. um, I I believe it's something like more than 50% of the people that call us. So if you call or inquire, there's a 50% chance you're going to get converted. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we do SEO, we do Google AdWords, we do social media, all platforms, um, you know, to make sure we really drive that. And 
you know, we assess the property. We say, hey, we're buying this at $22 a square foot. We do our market study and we say, okay, we might be getting, um, you know, a, a $15, the property may be getting $12 a month rents mm-hmm. or $12 a square foot rents. But we look at the prop, we look at the market and it's $18 a square foot. And the reason why this place is A, empty and B, um, not getting the rents is because they're just absent. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a really extreme example. A little less extreme would be a stabilized property that's running pretty well, mm-hmm. but the owner is just not pushing the market. So everybody has, you know, 20, 30, 40% higher rents and we can come in and, and um, you know, be more efficient, be better on marketing. So without, you know, if we do raise rents and we do cause disruptions with our customers, there's good marketing to bring new ones in. Sure. Sure. And mm-hmm. the other big re- re- way we add value is we build more units. So typically mm-hmm. we, we find properties like right now we just broke ground on building another 40,000 square feet on a property. So we bought the wow. property with 80,000 square feet and mm-hmm. we're adding about, I don't know, 250 more units. Mm-hmm. Um, and the market study said you could do that. So, and reasonably expect to get the customers. Um, so we add more units and we, and we make operations more efficient. Got it. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all that detail. Now, in that example that you shared, uh, Ryan, where you had 14% occupancy and things like that, how do you go about financing such a deal? We bought that one all cash. Got it. So, yeah. So, you know, when you kind of talk, you know, kind of get to the brass tacks of the numbers. Mm-hmm. So we, we picked that property up for about 1.35 million, something like that. Mm-hmm. We paid all cash. And so when you, when you get into a lease up deal, you know, where it's basically empty, I mean, for all intents and purposes, a little bit of revenue, Sure. you got it. You got to put together, you got to put together uh, OPEX losses because you know, you're going to lose money for a while. Sure. Sure. And then you've got to um, tranche your capital uh, improvement projects. Right. And then you got to try, you know, tranche your, you know, kind of operating reserves. Right. And then make sure you have enough runway um, based on your lease up expectations to get to, uh, where you want to go. So, so we started off at 14% economic and we got it up to about 60. Mm-hmm. Um, and we planned to lease up at about five units a month. So we're hitting our targets on the lease up rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're giving ourselves cushion to do that. But, you know, really, uh, you know, um, you know, we could have gone and messed around with a loan, but you know, in that case, um, the investors are getting, you know, somewhere close to, you know, 18, 19% annualized. And, the, um, that deal, uh, you know, just, we could make it work with cash because, you know, you take, if you take the NOI of a property like that and you value it, you know, it's probably going to get valued around over six to a six and a half percent cap rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, that property is a, you know, a $4 million stabilized property. So, you know, we can lease it up. We'll probably get that thing up close to 90% economic by maybe the end of 2021 or, you know, in the next uh, six to 12 months. And it, you know, and you can make those numbers work with your investors mm-hmm. and you tell, you know, you tell the investors in that particular deal, uh, we would not have any cash flow, right? We will no cash flow for you know, five or six months or something sure. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't, we don't do return of capital. It's just, you know, any profits that are made in distributable cash, you know, would send. So in that case, I mean, you know, we didn't have a loan now on these stable properties. Yeah. We'd finance it. And then we would just get aggressive with the operational uh, rent support increases. And then we eventually do some kind of construction component. Um, the the RV parks, we bought cash. Um, so, you know, same thing. Those are turnaround plays where we had to redevelop pretty much the entire park. Um, and those were operating at a 40 cap (laughs) on purchase. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, now risky, those, those, are, those are risky deals, but they, they operate at very high cap rates and they're very high, they're the highest cash flow on any deal I've ever seen. Right, so, right. Yeah. Now, I, I want to turn that um, uh, detail over, over there, uh, Ryan, is you said um, you add units or you look for that component where you can, uh, you know, add additional units and stuff like that. Is that sort of the uh, secret source or the linchpin within your underwriting that you want to look for that? Because um, at the end of the day, as we all yeah. know, like, you know, as all syndicators acquiring all the assets, right? You are looking for that some uh, punch on the NOI, whichever way you can bring, right? Whether you're improving operations or, uh, you know, adding these different amenities or as you indicated, like doing the, uh, you know, the new construction. So is that something you always look for that you want to add some units and i want to also ask you a follow-up there is that what does that build process looks like from a uh, you know let's say oh, from yeah. a, a permits perspective and uh, sort of that development runway yeah so it doesn't have to have added units so the, the the turnaround play that i talked about just a minute ago there was no additional units in that really mm -hmm. maybe we might get five or six rv spots or something but you know, does it have to? Generally, we like it to because I think that's really where we separate ourselves is we have development experience mm -hmm. from the residential space. Sure. Yeah. And I think that makes us different because a lot of operators don't have development experience and can't really get um, their hands dirty with um, really adding on additional units. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we can really, you know, get some nice returns out of that ability to do that. But it doesn't have to. Um, to answer your question, it just has to be enough of a value play, you know, and that's why we like having our own property management company. Cause we know we can turn these properties around now. I mean, we've sure. gone through this and we have a marketing checklist. We have an OPEX checklist. We have a CapEx. I mean, we have everything kind of dialed in. So we know we can get a lot of value on those, on those heavy value add turnaround stuff. So uh, we like that. Um, what does it look like to build? It depends. And I know that answer sucks, but <laughs> um, it really does depend. You know, if it's a single story, you're talking about slab, slab on grade, metal buildings, mm -hmm. um, you know, standing seam roofs. Uh, you know, you may have an interior corridor hallway with some HVAC, um, some basic HVAC. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a multi-story construction, um, still, you're not getting that complicated until you get above three levels. Mm -hmm. uh, three level construction, you can do like gauge steel for your structural steel. Um, you can do... Uh, pretty much the same foundation, you know, slab on grade foundation. There is some, you know, foundational components to it that are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, but when you go vertical, you actually cut, start saving money because, you know, yeah, you have the elevator, you know, that gets you past the second floor. Um, but, you know, when you add that third floor on, it's really cheap. You know, the floor pans, you know, you don't have another foundation. You don't have another roof. You don't have additional walls, doors, access. Um, you lose efficiency because you have interior corridor hallways and you have stairwells. Mm -hmm. But really, um, you know, the permitting process is just like anything else, except you have a lot less components, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, when we do the MEPs or the mechanical electrical plumbing on those, it's usually a deferred mm -hmm. submittal. It's a basic, I mean, we have, you know, like I said, we have uh, units, storage facilities like that where the, there's not even any lights in the interior units. They're just in the hall. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, again, there's not extensive plumbing because there's not extensive, uh, you know, bathrooms or things sure. like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, there's not a water heater in every unit. There's not a bathroom in every unit. There's nothing really in every unit. Right, um, right. You know, fire code requires us, you know, to do fire suppression. Um, and, you know, it could be a wet or a dry system and that could add to costs and, you know, permits through the fire department and then fire marshal could be more. But 
Yeah, it just depends. Um, you know, it could be very basic, you know, $40, $40 a square foot slab on grade, single story. Mm -hmm. Or you could be developing a site that is, you know, you have a huge haul off uh, for your for your dirt and you're talking $110 a square foot. Right. So right. Mm -hmm. it just depends. And, you know, I always people always ask me, what's the cost to build storage? And I'm like, man, I do not like answering that question because it depends on the project, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you've got a, you know, zero uh, percent grade and, you know, the sewer lines up and you have no wetlands, no deforestation, you have no uh, export, you know, okay. Yeah. It could be $40 a square foot, but if you've got a, tr you've got a property with wetlands or, you know, significant trees or, you know, that you've got to do a lot of grading on, I mean, your civil bill could be in the millions. So sure, sure. it just depends, you know, and you know that from construction. Absolutely. Know, absolutely. Now yeah. turning our attention, um, Ryan to some uh, RV pa uh, park discussion, you know, uh, give yeah. us some, uh, give us some idea of like, uh, you know, how much of assets you have in RV park or how is that asset class uh, keeps you excited? Yeah, so we have about uh, 250 operating pads right now and we have mm -hmm. 217 pads that we're building. Mm -hmm. So 400, 500-ish um, kind of in progress. Mm -hmm. uh, and the RV parks are great. They're really not that, they kind of fall in line with our philosophy, easy to manage, easy to evict, easy to maintain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're offering a, a, a mobile home park where people can drive in and drive out. And generally, you know, you got four, four different types of RV parks. You got the, the destination ones that like the theme parks. Mm -hmm. You've got campgrounds off the side of the highway that you can do a quick overnight stay. Then you've got campgrounds like, hey, let's go camping this weekend, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have places where people live. Well, ours are where people live. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's different qualities within each of those mm -hmm. examples I gave, like luxury, uh, you know, things like that. But generally, we are providing work, workforce housing um, mm -hmm. in Texas. And, you know, those are, we're doing a, a water pet, you know, we're doing a pedestals, a water electric sewer. And, um, you know, we, we provide a couple of bathrooms and showers uh, for people that desire, you know, a dog run area. We sell propane at the front of the park for as a convenience. One of the parks, we have a convenience store a laundry room um, that we operate and we're providing a, you know, the, the tenants stay anywhere from four to four, four months to four years, um, wow. you know, mm -hmm. and as little as a month, it's a month, a month lease. I see. Um, yeah. And there's some overnight stays here and there, but really we're focused on the long-term uh, tenant running. It's great. I mean, we don't have to maintain much of anything. We have an office and we have, um, you know, the utilities and the infrastructure, but really there's nothing to maintain. You know, we don't I own see. any of the RVs. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we're not responsible for any of the maintenance on the RVs and you know, the, the, uh, expense ratio is pretty good. Got it. What, what expense ratio it operates at, by the way? I think it's like about 32%. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty, yeah, so pretty, pretty good. modest. And that's, pay, yeah. that's, that's payroll too. So, wow. And we're, and we take all the utility expenses. So if you took the utility expenses out, it'd get, it would drop, you know, probably into the, to the mid to high twenties. Wow. wow. And, and is there an opportunity to build back uh, the residents, any, any of the utility expenses? You, you could, you could, it, it depends on your market. So, you know, it, it depends mm -hmm. on what everybody, everybody's doing. So in our markets, generally people are just paying, you know, we're paying, we're covering the cost. Everything is included. Got it. Yeah. Sometimes Got it. The, the parks will do like a premium in the summer where they'll raise rents in the summer to cover the extra cost of water mm -hmm. and the trailers running their air conditioning units. Um, but you know, it's generally the, you know, it's, it's kind of what the market demands. Got so. it. 
Got it. Thank, thank you. I know it's uh, we are running at the top of the hour now, but I want to sure. turn attention to the investor appetite. You at your company lead the, you know, sort of the investor relations and the uh, capital raising as well. So give us some idea about, you know, how much is the investor appetite for this asset class and what are you sort of hearing uh, from all the other passive investors? Storage is a, the place to be right now. And, and money is flooding in. In mm-hmm. fact, it's gonna make our, it's gonna make our disposition really nice at some point, but our buying it's difficult because uh, there's disruption in the market right now. And the, what happens when there's disruption is people use storage. Absolutely. Because they're getting relocated, they're moving their jobs, they're downsizing, they're getting divorced, unfortunately, or there's some type of disruption in life. And storage, um, storage events are because of life life sure. events. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, right now we have heavy competition for projects and we have very hungry investor demand um, to be in self-storage. I see. So, yeah. Got it. Got it. And from a returns perspective, uh, Ryan, typically, uh, you know, give us a sense of, I know every project is typically different, but in general, like, you know, are there, uh, you know, a, the limited general partnership share, or you know, if you have any preferred returns and things, like that, give us an understanding of in general what what sort of your model looks like. We're usually like eight percent pref, um, you know, anywhere from six to ten percent pref. You know, usually about eight percent pref, mm-hmm. um, which obviously isn't a return; it's just a, a preference um, sure. on the split. And then the splits are anywhere from fifty-fifty to eighty-twenty. You know, um, just depends, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I, I would say the returns are very comparable to multifamily. You know, I if you're see. doing heavy, heavy multifamily value add, you know, you would expect in multifamily Good. that B to be in the 20s, right? Sure. So if you're sure. doing, you know, right down the fairway, you know, B plus building in a great market, mm-hmm. you would, you would expect a return to match that, you know, maybe lower teens. Um, if you're doing kind of something in the middle, you know, you get something in the middle. But generally, because I invest in multifamily passively, sure. and mm-hmm. um, I don't really see much difference um, in, in between the two asset classes, to be honest, in the in the cost segregation side of the house or in the cash flow side of the house. I see, I see. So. Now, Ryan, w- one last question here is, knowing multifamily uh, right now, right? Uh, we know the push uh, or the general demographic shift uh, moving towards, uh, let's say, the southern states, whether that's the Georgia or, you know, let's say Florida, Texas, Alabama, or, you know, Vegas in general, right? We call the Sunbelt states of sorts. But knowing the self-storage class uh, as a class that we are talking or even the, uh, you know, the more manufactured housing and things like that, right? It seems to me that, uh, there isn't any push as such. It's it's more based on, I mean, the whole uh, area is wide open. It just depends on whether the assets make sense to acquire. W- would that be a correct statement? It would be. There's some markets. So we actually publish all the markets. So we, so multifamily, there's millions and millions and millions of multifamily buildings. Sure. Self-storage, mm-hmm. there's 50,000 in the United States. Gotcha. And, mm-hmm. and probably 25,000, you can just write off as, middle of nowhere, you don't want them assets, right? Like you just, they're, they're just so off the beaten path, you wouldn't want to mess with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe less than that, but generally um, storage. So we publish the markets that we look in. So some people are multifamily operators. They can stay in one market, 
right? Because mm -hmm. there's enough deal flow to stay in that market. Sure. Storage, mm -hmm. you kind of got to get out there a little bit more because you need deal flow that makes sense with your criteria. Mm -hmm. So we actually publish the markets that we look in that we perceive to be the best markets in the U.S. And that's mm -hmm. at our, on our website. So on Spartan-Investors.com, we put at the bottom, we, look, we, push, we publish the 154 markets that we look in. Mm -hmm. And it's population growth, job growth, rent per square foot. It's, um, you know, job migration. It's all the things that create uh, people, you know, mm -hmm. essentially, because people are what drive storage demand. Sure. So, um, you know, for example, Ohio, you know, Cleveland, declining population, uh, Columbus, growing population. So we look in Columbus, we don't look in Cleveland, you know, so I see. that, you know, as a small example, um, you know, Oklahoma, no offense to Oklahoma, Oklahomians mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, the rent per square foot in the entire state is below $6 a square foot. Mm -hmm. So we don't even bother looking in Oklahoma because we can't add value by building additional units there because we can't justify the new construction cost with the rent that we would get when we mm. built. Sure. The numbers so just we don't just, work. Huh. Exact Numbers don't work. Right. So then we don't look in California because it's hard to develop there. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. Hawaii is too far away from us. Um, I don't think we look in Alaska, but generally the Pacific Northwest is a great place to go. Um, you know, Arizona, you know, uh, Texas, the Florida states, the Carolina, just all the things that you mentioned, great places. Uh, but again, th those are generalized statements that really have no weight because sure, sure. I could show you a market in Seattle that's awful, you know, but I can then show you a market where there's tons of demand mm -hmm. and it's getting more difficult to find those like niche main on main and main streets that have that sufficient demand. So yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, it's definitely uh, localized uh, industry. It's a three mile business for sure. Right, right, right. So there's, I, I think uh, if, I'm, if, I, if I were to, I think, summarize it, you're saying that there is definitely the demand drivers, the demographic drivers that we all look for in general, but still at the same time, you still have to uh, kind of see the one-offs or, you know, if there is, a, you know, let's say high density infill uh, type of uh, self-storage in some market, that can still be an opportunity given the numbers and the, you know, the asset uh, specific deal details work. W would that be correct, uh, Ryan? Abs absolutely, yeah. Got it, got it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, uh, uh, Ryan, here. I know yeah, thank you. We, yeah. we, we definitely, you know, have pushed sort of the time limit on, on this episode, but <laughs> it, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Uh, please share with our listeners, uh, you know, how they can find you and learn more about your company and various projects. Yes. Yeah, so our e my email is Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at spartan-investors.com or you can just go to our website spartan-investors.com and everything's on there our portfolio and all of our contact information too so awesome yeah. awesome thank you yeah, and thanks. listeners uh, listeners of the podcast can also uh, find us uh, our podcast at premiumcashflow.com and as well as all the different uh, social media channels and if you are a passive investor so you want to you know invest in uh, please head on to our website. Uh, there's a link for invest with us. We are always, uh, you know, happy to, you know, get on a short phone call and discuss your investment goals. And we can certainly, you know, help you with any other projects. And of course, uh, uh, guests, expert guests like Ryan are always there to share their expert knowledge. So all the podcast episodes are also published on the uh, website. So it's been a pleasure, uh, Ryan. Uh, thank you for your time and thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Sure. 
Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.